Good morning to all of you. Oh, that was great, guys. <laughs> um, we're going to begin, as Kurt have already mentioned, um, we're going to continue in Malachi. Uh, we're getting close to the end here. And um, today we're going to be dealing with Malachi chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 13 all the way to verse 18. Uh, we're going to try to do our best to cover everything. If we don't, we'll, we'll pick up on next time. But I want to begin um, first with just a, a little introduction uh, just to get us caught up. You know, uh, I'm not up here as often um, as I like, but uh, when given the opportunity, we like to catch, catch you up uh, with where we are in Malachi. And so... Just for a little introduction, um, we're, we're in a place in, in Scripture when some of the Israelites had been slandering the name of God with their words. They've been slandering the name of God with their words because of their own complacency. Uh, they have gotten to the place where they've become... Um, complacent, they've stopped relying upon God, and so they fell in a state of self-gratification and pride. In other words, they became negligent, they became careless, they became self-satisfying in every way that they can think of. And as Christians, we must Guard ourselves from spiritual complacency. How? By examining ourselves. We're to examine ourselves as we seek to live for God, as we seek to glorify him in all things. Uh, we must make it our aim, make it our goal to not be brought into a state of complacency. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, the text says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize that this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Testing helps us to realize things uh, about ourselves. I just had a doctor's appointment, had a yearly checkup, and I found out some things about myself, just like when you go to the doctor and find out things about yourself. Um, so um, I'm under the wrath of Sandra. <laughs> Uh, I'm eating certain kinds of foods, and uh, my wife is making sure I don't leave here early. <laughs> but anyways, um, the reality is, is that we need tests. We need to examine ourselves. And what we see in our text this morning is that Malachi is testing uh, two groups of people. Uh, and these two groups of people uh, are coming to uh, having to deal with this idea of serving God. 
serving God. In the previous verses in Malachi 3, verses 7 through 10, the prophet states to these Israelites, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statues and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with the curse, for you are robbing robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So here we see a picture of God wanting to pour out his blessing upon his people. But yet the Israelites prevented the hand of God from blessing them because they were disobedient to the commands of God. According to the text, they were cheating God. They were bringing only so much to God and they were giving it as if it was a true tithe. They were committed to bring the whole tithe, commanded to bring the whole tithe. The Jewish people were obligated to give a tenth of their earning under the old covenant law, but instead they kept most of the tithe for themselves. They, uh, this led them into spiritual complacency. The more you're disobedient, the more you're letting a little bit slip through, uh, then things are not going to matter anymore. The rules are going to be blended and it's going to be anything goes. And so here we see the same exact thing helping, I mean, uh, happening with the Israelites, but it's eventually it's going to lead them to full out rebellion. Consequences of sin never leads to a state of blessedness. Rather, it leads to being unfulfilled and unsatisfied and always wanting more. The prophet Haggai said something similar, warning the people, same Israelite people, saying, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. As Christians, it is a great privilege for us in using the Old Testament practice of tithing as a starting place of our act of worship and our giving for the work of the ministry. For doing so, we honor God with our first fruits. As the scripture commands, and we have the privilege of serving others 
in the process for the furthering of the gospel. Continued obedience can only lead to continued blessedness. Scripture teaches that everything belongs to God. God has given us the privilege of being stewards over all that he has given us. John Piper described the tithe like this years ago, stating, giving God a tenth of our income does not deny that all of our money is God's. It proves that we believe it. Tithing is like a constant offering of the first fruits of the whole thing. The tenth, if yours, O Lord, in a special way, because all of it is yours in an ordinary way. Unquote. And so here we have a picture of what's going on in Malachi leading up to this point. We've got a backdrop on what's going on. The people of God have neglected their responsibility to the temple and to temple worship and to the tithe. And now we're going into a new time period in which Malachi has a word from the Lord. So let us pray before we go into our text for this morning. Our Lord and our God, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for your truth. We pray, Lord, that you would use your word to speak to the hearts, to the circumstances of your people. Help us, O oh God, to treasure in our hearts your word. May your word be like diamonds in the rough. As we travel through the, uh, the rough times and rough seasons of this life, Lord God, you're still a jewel. You're still a diamond. Lord, we can't begin to measure the blessings that we have received from you. But Lord, we want to ask you once again to help us, oh God, to have that experience of appreciating your word. We pray that by the power of your spirit, you will peel back the covers of your word and allow the light to come in that we might know you the more. And Lord, we promise we'll be careful to give your name the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you would, hopefully you're at um, Malachi, Malachi 3.13. The word of God says, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is a vain, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of 
our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts. And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And the book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Amen. I've entitled this sermon, How Do You Respond to Serving God? In these verses, Malachi the prophet gives us some ways in which people can respond to the practice of serving, serving God. In this section, you will see three responses from the people. These are not the only responses, but there are three we can learn from. They include a negative person's response, an arrogant person's response, and a reverent person's response. In verse 13 and 14, Malachi, the prophet, converses. He's having a conversation, if you would, with the people of Israel regarding their spiritual condition and how it's affecting their relationship with God. In other words, they've become very offensive to God. Now, remember, though Malachi is the speaker, he is God's man. He is God's representative, and God is leading and and directing him. He's God's prophet. And so here he confronts the Israelites in verses 13 and 14. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? If you said it is vain to serve God, what is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? This leads us to our first point, describing how the negative person responds. The negative person responds by criticizing people often. In other words, they're critical of everything. Being critical all the time is not a healthy practice amongst believers. Oftentimes, this leads to a person being judgmental while judging others all the time. Not only that, but it leads to blaming others. 
we have to be careful even in how we speak to one another as Christians because we can come across as being critical. James 4, 11 and 12 says it like this. Do not speak evil against one another. Brothers, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you? To judge your neighbor. In our text, this is not the case because some of the people were being critical, and in this case, not critical of one another, but they were in fact being critical of God. Some of the Israelites had become so complacent that they were slandering the name of God. They weren't valuing God. They weren't appreciating God for who he is. They did this so often, and their words were so harsh against God's character and nature, that God had to say, your words have been hard against me. It's as if they've stood in front of God and have spoken ill against the Lord. They seem to have been disrespectful before God. This reminds me of an old saying. It's not what you say, but it's what, how you say it. Right. Even in all of our relationships, people can be saying the right things, but the way you say it can become offensive to the other person. And so here we see that the people were being disrespectful. Uh, They were coming before God with wrong attitudes and as believers, as Christians, as fallen People, we can relate to that. We know that many of us have been right in what we were saying, but how we stated matters too. Listen to how God spoke to the Israelites in the book of Hosea. The text says in Hosea 7.13, Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction to them, for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. They, they were opposing God. In this case, they opposed God by the way of their criticism. This is what can happen to us If we're spiritually complacent, if we're not doing the things that God requires of us, we can fall into a state of complacentness and find ourselves blaming God for the things that are going on in our lives. The circumstances, the trials, the difficulties, the way the children are acting. 
You see, we can begin blaming God for those things because we're not holding our end. Instead, we must take pleasure. Take pleasure in God. In Proverbs 132, it says, for the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. Being complacent is not a wise idea. In Hebrews 2 and 3, it states, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. So it's a warning to all that we're not to become complacent. The negative person not only criticizes, but they also begin at some point feeling like serving God is a waste of time. Why, why, why am I here? Why do I have to come every week? It's the same people doing the same things. As if man is belittling the grandeur of God meeting with his people. It's nothing. It's just another meeting. This is what complacency would do. It would lead us into this state of negativity, feeling like serving God is a waste of time. But rather, if we see God rightly, if we characterize God as we ought to, we will run to the things of God. I can't wait to be with God's people, to hear what God is doing in their lives. You see, that's a whole different perspective when we have the right picture of God and who he is and what he has done for us. We see That feeling like serving God is a waste of time in verse 13 when some of the people stated it is vain to serve God. In other words, it's it's pointless, it's useless, it's empty, not getting anything out of it. You see, this is the idea. And so they go on saying, what profit of our keeping his charge? Why, Why should we spend our time with him? This is one of the attitudes which prevent people from coming to know God. We, we have seen this in people before. But people kind of just brush God off as if they don't need him and belittle him. The negative person would not only be critical of others and feel like serving God is a waste of time, but they will also regularly, regularly express Misery, misery when serving God. How do we know this? We know this because of the phrase in verse 14, the phrase that says, walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts. I looked at them like, what, what does that mean? And looking it up in the um, original language, This phrase means to walk with a long face. In other words, a face of disgust. We have to, we got to put the signs out again. (laughs) You know, communion again. Whatever it is. Uh, Reading my Bible again. Uh, You see, this, this, this is the attitude 
of coming before the Lord with a long face. And as Christians, there's a lot we can learn from this. That as we approach God and the things that we're doing for God, we can be mindful of having the right attitudes. To not walk with a long face, but to walk with encouragement because of who our God is. So the question is, does this describe any of you? Christians are not exempt from falling into a place of complacency. If we're not careful, we will be miserable too if we don't have the right outlook on life. Here's the reality. Christians can be successful only when they obey God's word, keep from idleness and from quarrelsome talk. Scripture teaches us to be quick to hear and slow to what? Speak. Right. And so here we want to listen, see what the word of God says, and we want to respond to the word of God. So the question I like to ask again is this is what the Israelites were doing. Do you have a bad attitude when it comes down to the things of serving the Lord? This is something we can ask ourselves. What's my attitude in coming here this Sunday today? Did I see it as a burden or what is it, was it a blessing? If so, we can easily get rid of it by confessing our sins and repenting, turning to God. Why? Because this is not a godly characteristic. On the other hand, the Israelites had gotten to a place where they began questioning God's motives. In many cases, people begin questioning God in, in times of complacency, in a state of complacency and self-centeredness. The reason why many people will begin to question God in the first place is because of this state of complacency and self-centeredness. People can begin asking, not, Lord, what your will is for my life, but rather, why me? Why can I have this or have that? We can easily find ourselves having that mind state. Now, let's be clear. We're not saying that people can't ask good questions, can't be mindful of what God is saying. But to be overly critical and unwilling to serve, that's wrong and unhealthy, unhealthy for the unity of the church. Christians must be very careful because we too can find ourselves Becoming complacent and begin questioning whether or not we are to even serve God. If we run away from serving God, where would we go? To whom would we run? 
Instead, we are to take our cue from the scriptures and we are to seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and all of these things shall be added unto you. In verse 15, Malachi describes how the arrogant person responds to the service of God. Some responded to the prophet's words in this verse saying, and now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. And so you can see how they're building up their argument as if sinning is great, as if the grass on the other side is greener. Not only do the negative person respond to serving God with over-the-top criticism and unhelpful and sinful expressions, but the arrogant person responds by calling the arrogant blessed. In our culture, people want to believe that superiority is greatness. In the office, people that are arrogant are called (laughs) go-getters. They're not called arrogant in how they do things on the job, but they've rephrased it and have called themselves go-getters. They just want it more than anybody else. And as Christians, it's just a reminder to us to be mindful of how we are living before God. Whether it's in our homes, on our jobs, we're to do all for the glory of God. The unfortunate thing is that they really believe that this is true, but they're really becoming prideful which only leads to destruction. The Israelites got caught up in a lie, believing that they are better off without God to the point that they felt that they were having success to the point they became prideful and then falling into a state and saying, I don't even need God. This is the arrogance that we see amongst the Israelites. Uh, But this is foolishness. Listen to Mark 7, 21 and 22. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Here we see that it is out of the heart of man. It's because of our sinful state that will lead us into an area of complacency. And that's for all people. And that's why it's necessary for us to come into a right relationship with God that we might be governed by the word of God, that we might be transformed and saved. But the unbelieving, not so. Not so. The danger that we see here is that they believed that evil prospered. And if we're believing that evil prosper, 
then it only leads to damnation, hell, and separation from God. That's the reality of going in our own way. That's the reality of believing that evil prospers. But if that's not enough, they wanted to take it a little further by putting God to the test. And we see that in the verse when it says in verse 15, uh, evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and then they add a little bit more. They even escape as if God cannot see them or cannot find them or cannot reach them. But this is the arrogant attitude of the Israelites during this time. And so they begin practicing wickedness. And we saw this constantly throughout biblical history where God would go and he would love his people. And then they would begin to separate themselves through complacency and begin to do things that are dishonorable to God. We see this over and over. And I just think that it's a warning to us to not think that we're strong, to not think that we're untouchable as if we can't fall there. We see it all the time. And we ask the question, how how did that happen? They were so strong in the church. They knew the scriptures. Right? We see this happening all the time. A little, a little crack in the dam is, is enough for damage. Eventually, the whole dam will, will be destroyed. And as Christians, we have to think of our lives in the same, in the same way, where we are keeping short accounts. We're confessing sin. We're repenting. We're going before God. We're praying. We're trusting him, relying upon him. And so next we're about to to see some of that because in verse 16 and 17, we see a sharp contrast in our text compared to the negative and the arrogant person. So now here's here's another group of people who, who have experienced the same things, who've been challenged by the same difficulties, now let us, let us see their responses. In verse 16, then those who feared the Lord. You see, that's their identity. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. And God said, they shall be mine. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. And then in verse 18, then once more. You shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. So here we see a different response. This is the right response. 
This is the correct response. Why? Because of their outlook upon who God is. These are a people who, who reveres God, who thinks much of God despite the circumstances, despite whatever road they have to travel, despite the difficulties they have to face, whatever it is, they have the right view of who God is. Why? Because then those who feared the Lord, they spoke with one another. So the reverent responds by revering God in all things. Revering God in all things. We cannot just revere God when times are smooth, when things are right, things are perfect. At home, my husband will be here in a little bit. Dinner's on the, on the stove, getting ready. Kids are obedient. Thank you, Lord. So good. Now, day two, the food is on the stove. Colin running late. <laughs> Kids are going crazy. <laughs> What do you do? It ought to be, Lord, you're still good. You're a diamond in the rough. This is the attitude of those who revere Christ, who make much of God despite the circumstances. Listen to Psalm 100. Listen to the psalmist. There the psalmist says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Notice how it says how we are to serve the Lord. What does it stay there? Serve the Lord with what? Joyfulness, gladfulness, right? That's the attitude we are to have despite what's going on. Know that the Lord, he is God, meaning God is sovereign over all things. It is he who has made us. We are his and he and we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. You see, this this is how we revere God. Those who truly know God through faith in Christ will reject all negativity and oppositions against the creator. We see this in verse 16 at the beginning of the verse. It states, then those who feared the Lord. These Israelites heard and saw the same things as others did. They had a different response. Instead of complaining and accusing God, they chose to reveal him. And this moved God with such compassion upon them that he spared them and promised to remember their names. 
Listen again to verse 16 and 17. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. God said, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. These two groups saw the same things, but obviously walked away with different perspectives. Speaking of the promises of God with others, even in times of difficulty, is what believers do. We remind each other of going in the right way of pleasing the Lord and honoring him and praising him despite what we're going through. We're able to build one another up in love. We're able to strengthen one another. We're able to encourage one another. The body is being edified as we speak to one another the words of God. And we too can say, did not our hearts burn within? As the word of God was spoken to us. The word of God is still active, sharper than a double-edged sword. The word of God is necessary then, and and it's necessary now. And so what we're to do as believers, we're to speak of the promises of God with one another. We're to speak of the promises of God. We're to discuss the mighty wonders of God with others so that we too might be encouraged. That is done often here in our prayer meeting. We have a a section called praise reports. That's an opportunity where we can publicly give praise and honor to our God. Serving the Lord is what we're to do on a regular basis. And we're to do it in a way we're revering God, we're honoring him. And so, again, just as the Israelites in that day, there were two groups of people. And the question then becomes, why was one group spared and the other one was not? We, we, we clearly see that in Scripture, that there were ones who have come before God and have accused them of doing things because of their complacency, because of what they thought they ought to have, and they spoke ill of God. But then there were others who spoke, but their words were different. Their words raised the name of God high so that all would know that it is through Christ, it is through God that we're saved. And so we too can do the same thing as we're going through life, different circumstances, different trials we have to face. We're to still serve the Lord with gladness. We're to still know that he is God. 
We're to still remember what God has done for us. And so we're not to be moved by the circumstances, but rather we're to speak of the promises of God. Maybe there's one here today. You haven't been spared, and you'd like to be spared as these Israelites will be spared. You too can be spared through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The scripture teaches that we're all sinners, desperately in need of his grace. In other words, there's no one here good that can offer God anything that would cause God to say, you're good enough, come into my kingdom. The scripture says that we've all sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. The only way we can have peace with God is through his son. It's through his finished work upon the cross. That's the only way we can be made right with God. There is no other way. The Lord Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way to the Father except through me. And so if you're here today and you do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior, believe in what he has done and that he had died for sin, rose again from the grave. The scripture teaches that if you believe in him, you shall be saved. For it is a work of God that we are saved. It is through Christ. And so Revere him today. Come to know him as your Lord and as your Savior. And you too can be saved and be spared. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And your word lead us us and guide us. In your name we pray. Amen.